Yeah, so storming out in Colorado, huh? It is so gross. It's been gross for about a week and a half. It's been raining every single day, and I think today might be the worst. It's just from morning, actually it started halfway through the night. We kept waking up, and right now it just started a few minutes ago. So there might be some nice background noise in this podcast if you hear any thunder. Crackling of lightning and trees coming down. If the power goes out, I'll know what happened at least. Yeah, really. But hey, if you followed last week's episode, if you just had the power wall, no issues. Able to <laughs> Those things apparently sold out in, I don't know, about a week. They sold 30,000 of them, I think. So they're completely sold out until the middle of 2016, which is crazy. And of course, some states are banning them already. I think Florida is one of the biggest states that bans any kind of off-the-grid technology because they want to control all. And my audio is spiking very heavily. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's kind of weird. I don't know why, why Florida would do that, but hey, I mean, it's Florida. Florida is... Uh... Florida's an interesting place of many people. It sure is. I lived there for about five years, and I don't think I can ever live there again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, this is episode 13 of the We Geeks podcast. I'm Nathaniel Dodson. I am Howard Pinsky, and you can find me at Iceflow, actually, at Iceflow Studios on Twitter. And you can find me at Tutvid on Twitter. And you can check out any of the stuff we're going to talk about in today's podcast over on my website, tutvid.com. That's tutvid.com slash wegeeks slash episode 13. That's the number 13. And you can also find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, wegeekspodcast.com. And one cool thing about SoundCloud that a lot of people don't realize is that you can comment along with the podcast. So while you're listening on soundcloud.com slash wegeeks, if we talk about something really interesting or talk about something really stupid, you can comment directly at the time that we speak about something and we can go back and check those comments out or other people can check them out. So head over to SoundCloud, subscribe Mm -hmm. to us, head over to iTunes and leave us a review if you love the show or hate the show. We didn't get any from last week, so we can't read any. And and also a big thank you to our patrons over at patreon.com slash we geeks. This week we have Michael and Jordan to give a shout out to. Our regular Valdez, his... He must be having some issues with his credit card processing, so it didn't go through. So maybe next week we'll be able to shout out Valdez if he sorts all that stuff out. But kind of going off of that, like the SoundCloud commenting and things mm-hmm. like that, let's talk a little bit about engagement on social media. Well, because real, this is real quick before we yeah. get to that, the cool thing about the commenting on SoundCloud and how you can sort of comment with the flow of things and leave the comment right at a specific point in time is you can comment right at the exact moment that something stupid is said or right Mm -hmm. at the exact moment that something brilliant is said. Um, And it's pretty cool because I don't know, you know, I I mean, you listen to some stuff on SoundCloud and, and, you know, when you're hunting around SoundCloud, it's kind of neat, you know, when you come across something, especially something that's long. I mean, this podcast is about an hour, hour and 10 minutes long. But if you see a comment at a specific area, a lot of times, you know, you'll be like, all right, I'll just, you know, click ahead and check, see what's going on there, see what's generating engagement. Um, so yeah, it's it's a really cool commenting system that SoundCloud has. But yeah, no, go ahead. What you're what you're about to talk about here with yeah, it is really cool. And one thing I love about that is that it really gets people engaged. We haven't had many people comment because I don't think SoundCloud is our number one source of listens. iTunes mm-hmm. is actually taking over, I think. Right. But when it comes to engagement, it is so important for someone like us, someone like me, someone like you as social media creators or content creators. And so many networks, like especially YouTube, ranks how they sort their videos like which videos appear in search which how high they appear in search based on 
how much engagement it gets. So if I release yeah. a video and it gets four comments, it's probably gonna appear less or lower in the ranks than if you release a video that gets less views but more comments. Right, and so that is, and to, yeah. to interrupt you for a second, that's why you see a lot of these bigger YouTubers doing stuff like thumbs up for the smiley face pillow or thumbs up for Pikachu or you know whatever <laughs> it is that, that they've got going on in their video. Um, that, that's, you know, it's not just because they want to bloat their thumbs ups numbers just for no end. It's because the more of that engagement you can get, the, the higher your video is going to rank, the more they're gonna, other people are going to see them and they're going to be recommended, pushed into subscription boxes, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And if you're a viewer out there, whether it be our content or anybody else's content, if you like their content, leave them a message, not necessarily a private message, but if you're watching a YouTube video, just comment in the YouTube video that you love the video or give some constructive feedback or whatever it might be. If you're listening to a podcast, leave a review because even something like iTunes, it kind of ranks which podcast they feature based on the reviews. If they have a lot of reviews and good reviews, you know, five-star ratings, they're going to take that in, into consideration. And if you're a content creator, don't, re don't be afraid to ask your, your, uh, your viewers for comments. I know it sounds a little bit rude sometimes, you know, make sure to leave me a comment, but you can do it in a tasteful way. Like, if, you know, say something like, if you love my content, leave me a comment below. Let me know what you think. Or if you want, if you want to leave me suggestions for future videos, you know, head down to the comments below and let me know what you think. Because it really does. It may not seem like it, but it really does help content creators yeah. get their content higher up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, engagement is key. Uh, even on stuff like Facebook, uh, you'll see the stuff that's got, you know, a thousand likes being pushed to the top of your feed. Uh, the thing that's got 87 comments, you know, shows up out of all the stuff that your friends are talking about. That new profile picture that got 124 likes and, you know, X number of comments and who knows how many shares. All that stuff just... it. It percolates up to the top a lot of the ranking systems it's just the way they work i mean with the exception of like twitter and instagram that still kind of show a true chronological timeline mm -hmm. um you know even i mean well google plus is still somewhat true i would say right wouldn't you say but i mean not just not enough it doesn't seem like enough people use it i'll put it to you that way um, yeah that's true yeah google <clears throat> plus is still kind of a deserted dead zone i have i think three point one million followers on google plus and my posts just don't get i mean i'd be lucky to get 400 plus ones or whatever they call on the on the posts. But what's interesting about Google Plus is they just released a new feature. I figured Google was just gonna let that service die. Mm. But they just released a new feature called Collections. And it's basically, to explain it to somebody who doesn't really use Google Plus, it's basically Pinterest in a feed. So what I did was I created a collection that's specifically for Photoshop tutorials and design inspiration. And every day I post a new digital illustration or a hand-drawn illustration that I think is out of this world. And people can, the same thing like they do in Google Plus now, they can like it, they can share it, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. But it doesn't really sort things like Pinterest. But what's nice is that you can have multiple collections. So if my page, my regular Google Plus profile is strictly for Photoshop stuff, I can create an additional collection, maybe if I'm into bowling. That's a strange example yeah, to come That is up quite with, strange, quite strange. I don't know where that came from, but <laughs> let's say I'm really a fan of bowling, but I don't want to uh, uh, trouble or disrupt my regular flow of content. I can create a bowling collection, and I can turn off the feature that sends those bowling posts to my regular viewers. So I can have a whole group of other viewers and I don't have to create another profile. It's just basically another collection, kind of like a board on Pinterest. So it's basically the same. Okay, thing. gotcha. So it's sort of like, uh, 
share also you could also think of it as as a way to share to a specific group of your subscribers or followers on Google Plus. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and, and all social networks have something similar. Right. They're just kind of named right, very right. differently. Okay, uh, that that's that's helpful to think about it that way. Um, is it? And I'm assuming that it's something that your followers have to opt into. Well, there's two options. So the collection that I created, which is Photoshop tutorials and design inspiration, I chose the option that all of my followers would automatically see my stuff. So it would just appear in my regular follower mm. feed. So if you're if you're following me already, you're going to see that content because it's related to my regular content. Right, gotcha. But if I were to create a bowling collection, my followers now, they probably don't want to see that. So I would probably turn that option off. So only people who are interested in bowling can go to that collection and subscribe to it to receive content. Gotcha. Well, it makes sense. Hmm. So on to the news. Yeah. So I'm sure your week has been pretty okay and my week has been okay. But one man's week is not going as well as he probably expected it to go. But Well, he's in jail. Then again, so. <laughs> he is in jail, but he expected it to go a little bit better than... It actually turned out. So this guy, we found this article. Actually, my wife showed me the video not too long ago, but there's an article on Petapixel about this. So this guy, and I believe he's a rapper, he walks into a bank. He hands the teller a note Mm -hmm. demanding 150 bands. Now, I don't know exactly what that... I'm assuming it's like a wad of cash that's wrapped in an elastic band. I don't know the terminology, but that's what I'm assuming it was. You're not, so he hands, you're not from the streets, as they say. No, I'm, I'm not. Ah, okay. <laughs> so he hands the teller this note demanding money, basically, and he's filming this experience. Now, this isn't something that's like done in a studio or it's not done with lights and cameras. This isn't part of a movie. It's reality he's, TV. It's, it's very rea- real. He's filming this experience of him robbing this bank. Now, what's even stranger is after he films it, he doesn't leave the bank and start running away. He stands in the bank and he uploads this video along with others to his Instagram profile. Wait, while he was still in the bank? While he was still in the maybe bank. Maybe they had free. Maybe thing. they had free Wi-Fi. Oh, maybe they did. Maybe <laughs> that was the one thing he so, didn't steal that day. <laughs> so, of course, he was caught about twenty minutes later because he didn't make a run for it, mm-hmm. and he he left. He did an interview with somebody, and this is what he said, and I quote, because this isn't the greatest of English. He says, for real, I didn't even do it for money. You understand? I didn't do it for the money. I knew my pick would get exposure. I'm basically asking permission for money. In my eyes, I did not commit a robbery, and I feel I am being charged without reason. So this rapper who's trying to get his music career off the ground did it to try to get exposure on Instagram so he, let, let's let's put this into perspective. This idiot, I'm going to call him an idiot because I, th- I think he is an idiot. Fair enough. He, he robbed a bank, filmed it to get exposure on Instagram. Try to set, if you're on SoundCloud, leave a comment of how ridiculous this sounds. Or what you would do for exposure. Because uh, I, I, I did see that he said that he doesn't think it's really a crime because he asked the teller kindly for the money and after all, she didn't give it to him. Right. He didn't ask for his money. And he didn't give the, his credit card or his bank card. He asked for money. Right. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I go into banks frequently and hand handwritten notes across the counter without speaking, <laughs> uh, demanding that money be withdrawn from my account. Isn't that what a withdrawal slip is? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's so dumb. There's a, um, 
There's a documentary on Netflix and I think on YouTube as well. I think it's called Like Generation or something or Generation Like or something like that. Mm. And it's talking all about the way that a lot of these big marketing companies and filming houses, film houses, whatever, um, are are essentially using the kids and the younger people in the generation in, in this generation, excuse me, to promote their stuff because really all you need to give them is some sense of attention on their social media platform. And yep. I mean, we've, I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast before, but I know personally we've talked about kind of the, the power of the like and what people will do for the likes. And you see people doing absolutely ridiculous things. I mean, so many of these stupid prank videos on YouTube and, <sighs> you know, uh, the, you know, fail videos, you know, stuff like that, that people are, you know, doing this stuff where they're, they're breaking very real arms or very real legs, but Hey, the video got, you know, a million and a half views. So totally worth it. Um, so does it surprise me? No. Uh, does it make me think that I should do this myself? Not in the least. Um, but it's definitely interesting. The Instagram page is down, so you can't go and see yeah. the pictures. You would have to Google the pictures. I mean, there are people that have screenshotted them and saved them. I don't know about the video. I haven't seen the video. Um, I have. I did see the video, and it was actually included in one of the interviews I think my wife showed me. And it's basically him pointing a camera at the teller, and the teller is has a bag, and he's she's basically loading the bag with a bunch of wads of money. Right. It's... It's so. It looks like something directly out of a movie, but this is real. And we kind of touched on the whole engagement thing at the beginning of this podcast. But I, I can't believe I have to tell people this. But if you have to think twice about, maybe this guy didn't think twice. I don't know. But if you have to think about doing something this stupid to get engagement and to get likes and to get attention on social media, just don't do it. Yeah, yeah. Try to bypass that. That's. Best best practices, probably. Now, now, speaking of somebody who's trying to get attention on social media, this next story, and you'll take this yeah, one. Yeah, it's garnering quite a bit of attention. <laughs> uh, I think it was yeah. one of the top articles, actually, uh, this week on Petapixel, which is how I... Actually, you know what? I didn't even see it there. I did see this on Facebook first, and I went looking to see if anybody had picked it up, um, but I follow a bunch of the photography groups, um, you know, Photoshop and Lightroom group on Facebook, the F-Stoppers group on Facebook, uh, and a bunch of other retouching and wedding cinematography and photography groups and all that stuff. But there was a... Um, a photographer from Australia, Lee Maxwell Judd Photography, you can, I'm assuming their Facebook page is still up. It was when I last checked. Maybe it won't be by the time you hear this. Um, has found himself in some hot water after posting a photo of a newly married couple and commenting, uh, setting the caption, I'm sorry, as the photo, basically saying this was the ugliest bride that he ever photographed um, and that she was the number one bridezilla. And for the record, she's not at all an ugly girl. It's no, not she doesn't look right. Very it's ugly. not. It's not like you take and be like, well, I mean, I can kind of see where he was going, but you still shouldn't say that publicly. She's not. You know, I don't know where where he got that from. I mean, unless he's like photographing Victoria's Secret angel weddings all the time. You know, I I don't know where you would get off. You know, calling this woman the ugliest bride you ever photographed. Um, they responded quickly when people kind of freaked out about it, saying that their page was hacked, um, which is interesting because. Um, this girl then posted an update on her own Facebook page, uh, basically outlining a lot of the issues she's been having with the photographer, and and the, it's it, he sent her the wrong photos, or he sent he sent their photos to somebody else, or something. It was some long story about that, and then like a day or two before the wedding, he asked her to do like a lingerie, lingerie and underwear photo shoot for him uh, when he had never brought it up before, and she said it was super creepy and weird, just the way it came across, um, and and you know she just kind of points 
points out, you know, there, there's something going on with this business. I actually thought she handled it fairly well in her Facebook post, um, you know, when she kind of responded and said, you know, it basically, I don't really know if they were hacked or not, but basically it wouldn't surprise me if they weren't hacked because this is kind of the experience that I had. Um, and I mean, I've photographed a bunch of weddings and I've had one, one bride who is, I would say kind of a pain in the neck, but she turned out to be great in the end. Um, it was just a matter of she could not conceptualize where we were going with the wedding stuff. But when I delivered the album, it was kind of this eye-opening moment. You know, she's sitting there in her kitchen looking through at her and her husband. And, you know, he was kind of fine all along. She's like, whoa, the pictures look so much better than I expected when they were printed and when they're large format and everything else. Um, and, you know, she's kind of blown away by that. So it, it ended well. Um but I mean, you—I'm sure with the retouching work that you've done, Howard, you've bumped into um, different situations. I mean, wedding wedding photographers of all of the photographers are probably some of the worst retouchers, and I say that only because there's a lot more time you need to spend actually shooting as a wedding photographer, and also you're not really working with fine-tuned technical light, so you're not sort of almost lighting for that Photoshop work afterward. You're not necessarily ever going to beauty retouch a wedding portrait. Um, maybe in, in, in certain circumstances for bridal portraits, yes. But, you know, that crazy photo of everyone dancing on the dance floor, mm, you're probably not going to go in and retouch the skin of everybody and stuff like that. So, you know, there, there are a lot of photographers who just straight up outsource the retouching and, and color correcting and all of that. Have you done any of that work? I have, yeah. Before I get to that, first of all, I don't believe for one second this guy's Facebook page was hacked. <laughs> I think he posted well, this thing just to a small group of people, and it exploded went right. viral. And, well, and he's like, and, "Oh, and one other thing." He he came out afterward and it was sort of talking about the legitimacy of his business, essentially, and saying that he's booked with weddings through 2019. I I, I don't do I don't know that. about you, but I've never known somebody to book a wedding out four years for a particular photographer, and that's not even exaggerating. I've never heard of that before ever. I've heard of two years, which in my mind is still kind of crazy, but I've heard of that. I've never even heard of three years, let alone four years. That's a little. I mean, now you're kind of stretching it, you know. I mean, come yeah, on. so not for one second. I think this it went viral and he's trying to backtrack and trying to make excuses. But yeah, actually, recently. I think it was this week, I had a good friend of mine reach out to me and say, listen, I just had my wedding a few months ago. I got the photos back and they're absolutely terrible. Uh oh. And I'm not talking, like, these were completely unretouched photos. I'm not going to share any names, but they were unretouched photos. And I figured, you know, they're probably okay. But she sent a few to me and they were incredibly dark. I don't know what camera, actually, I do know what camera, I, I have it in Lightroom somewhere. But she sent over the raw files. I'm surprised the photographer sent over the raw files. But they were very noisy. But what was really frustrating, and in this case, I really couldn't do much about it, is most of the photos were completely out of focus. Oof, yeah. Which, yeah. And that, if you know anything about photography or anything about photo editing, when you're dealing with an out-of-focus image, you really can't do much to fix. Yeah, you can I, sharpen it I a heard little you, bit. But or I saw, I think maybe you tweeted earlier this week something about being able to copy focus settings or something between photos in Photoshop or Lightroom or something. I did tweet that. Um, I, actually, I actually deleted it shortly after because I made some spelling errors, but I, I, I just threw it out there. I thought it'd be a cool feature if Adobe can figure out. If you have multiple photos of the same scene, mm -hmm. if you can copy, like let's say the focus or sharpness settings from one photo, the one that's in focus, and apply it to the other one, right. which would be kind of cool. I don't know what what engineering it would take. But I'm sure it would take a lot of engineering. Mm -hmm. But 
I had to do a lot of editing to these. You know, luckily some of them that were just kind of dark, but in focus, you can very easily increase the exposure. I actually did a YouTube video, my latest YouTube video on how to drastically improve dark images, basically increasing the exposure, the highlights, mm -hmm. the shadows, so on and so and, forth. And therein also lies the, a lot of the value of shooting in raw, because if you just shot a JPEG, I mean, forget about it. Oh, you'd it. be done. You're up the creek without yeah. a paddle in a serious way. Yeah. But Lightroom has incredible noise reduction technology, and even their sharpening is not bad. But for a few of them, I actually brought them into Photoshop. I ran them through the shake reduction feature, even though they weren't really shaky photos. It was able to kind of bring back some of that sharpness. And what I found is back in Lightroom, if I increase the sharpness quite a bit and then increase the radius all the way, I actually got pretty decent results. Now, of course, if you zoom into 100%, which Honestly, you're, very few people are going to be viewing these photos at 100%. If you're right. throwing them on Facebook, you're probably viewing them at like 33%. Sounds, they look it great. It sounds like these needed more like the 12.5%. <laughs> these were not very good photos. So I'm going to throw it back to you for a second because you've done a lot of wedding photography. If anyone is listening to this and they kind of want to get into wedding photography, first of all, you know, how do you avoid disasters? Because it's not something you could just call people up and say, listen, the memory card kind of got lost or wet. Can we redo your wedding? And then what kind of tips and tricks can you offer to people so that if they do pass the photos back onto retouchers or they do them themselves, it's not a pain in the butt? Well, I mean, number one, with regard to this whole story, this goes back to what we talked about a couple weeks ago in the 10 tips to becoming a better designer. Don't complain. You know, or if you complain, complain in-house. This should never be something that is a public thing unless you're ready to destroy your public image and the image of your business. That's first and foremost. Even little stuff. You know, don't complain about the weather. Don't complain about the heat. Embrace it all. The more you embrace that 120-degree wedding while you're wearing a suit in the desert of, you know, Phoenix, Arizona, you post those photos on your Facebook page, people aren't going to – would you rather people sympathize with you and say, oh, yeah, it must, you know, it must be horrible being out there in the heat? Or would you rather people be like, man, this guy's a trooper or, you know, this girl kicks some serious butt when she's out photographing weddings. Like, look at this crazy stuff she's doing. That, in my mind, is a much better way to market yourself as a photographer. So that's first and foremost. Don't complain. Um, and after that, um, when it comes to keeping track of your photos and, and being careful of your photos, um, number one, when I'm shooting weddings, I never go above a 16, well, maybe a 32 gigabyte card, um, but probably 16 gig, quite frankly, to be safe. I would rather have to change my card every four to 500 shots um, or maybe 700, whatever it is for, I forget what it is. I can get on a 16 gig card. Uh, but, you know, every few hundred shots, it's better to have to change your card, you know, six or seven times throughout the day than have one big 256 gigabyte card and it corrupts on you in the middle of shooting. This way, you'll lose a little bit less if something does go wrong. Now, obviously, it's very rare. I've never had a card go bad on me. I mean, I did have an SD card go bad on me once, but it was like stupid video camera junk down at the beach one summer um so that's first and foremost i shoot on lower uh kind of a lower gigabyte quantity cards um i do try to back stuff up when i get home i have whenever i buy an external drive i buy a second external drive to sit right beside it so i'm you know double saving stuff in theory you should also save stuff on dvds or other hard drives and save it off site 
there comes the whole question of do you want to save all the photos from a particular job like that? Do you just want to save the selects and the stuff that people wanted or maybe the selects plus the stuff that you think are really good and put those over on a drive somewhere else in order to save time? You know, I mean, remember a wedding, you could shoot you know, 60 to 100 gigabytes worth of photos depending on how many photos you're shooting and the camera you're using to shoot them. Um, so all that stuff is stuff you need to kind of sort out. But it is good to have a backup um, when you're sending them off. If you're sending them off to a retouch or something, we transfer is great. If you got the version where you can send, you know, large quantities above, I think it's two gigs with the free version, um, or any of these bigger box. Is it box.com or box.net? That's one of those big sites where you can upload a ton of stuff to. Uh, yeah, box. There's there's a lot of there's box. There's Dropbox. Right, copy. There's, uh, copy. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of different things like that. But obviously, when you're talking about you know a, a huge number of gigabytes, your internet connection might not be fast enough, and it might just be faster to buy a few jump drives and throw you know 20 gigs worth of images in a little packet and mail them off. And obviously, you still save copies of them at home. Um, so I mean, it's just you know manage your backups that way. Um, and I, but it all begins with shooting great photos. And you know, kind of no matter how the wedding goes, show your best photos and don't complain. Don't complain. All right, that's 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 kind of the advice that I can give when it comes to you know shooting and and even retouching weddings because a lot of wedding retouching is common sense stuff like up needs to be brightened, need to drop the contrast, need to increase the contrast, need to color correct, you know that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. Try not try not to show photos where the bride doesn't look good, even if you know that they're junk photos. The more of that junk you can sort out before the client ever sees it, again, you're going to look like a better photographer. Yeah, and if you're, I would I would say having not shot any weddings, and there's a reason I haven't shot any weddings because I'm not very comfortable with my camera and with the environments that a wedding holds. If you're not comfortable, don't accept the job because there's nothing more frustrating mm -hmm. than being married. I mean, not being married. That's not the frustrating part. But <laughs> there's nothing. Ooh, there's nothing more frustrating than being married and having terrible wedding photos. Thankfully, I had an amazing photographer at my wedding. But our videographer was like literally. He shot our wedding, which was in 2009, so it wasn't like in 1940. Mm. He shot our wedding on a four by three camcorder. Oh. And the the footage is pretty much complete. First of all, we can't even open on most applications yeah, I was on our say, computer. Is that like Super 8 footage or whatever they used to call it? I, I don't know what it was, but it's pretty much, even if we could open it, and I think we got it open once, mm -hmm. it was like, okay, this is this should be on like America's Funniest, Funniest Home Videos in 1994. Right. It's just terrible. So if you're not comfortable shooting weddings and things like that, don't do it. Do other venues mm -hmm. and just practice until you get to that point yeah, because you're just going to have unhappy clients. Right. One of the things you can do, and the first summer that I ever shot weddings, I think I was 17 or 18, something like that, um, I put an ad up on Craigslist offering free wedding photography. Um, I just – I shot a bunch of weddings. I shot at least 12 weddings for free at least. Um, and, you know, they're just fire hall weddings. You know, it's obviously going to be very low budget stuff, but you can get out, you can, you can experience the flow of the day. You know, it's stuff like, I mean, look, we're kind of geeky dudes who sit behind computers all the time, or we're not, we're not working at David's bridal shop. I'll put it to you that way. So when it comes to stuff like figuring out, all right, when does the ring bearer come down or what's the first dance or is there something called a dollar dance or how does the reception work? Who's the DJ? Do I have to work with a videographer? Just thinking about stuff like that. It's, it sounds like a lot of stuff. It's really not that bad, um, but it's good to have a few weddings solidly under your belt. And then even once you do a few free weddings yourself, if you can second shoot a number of weddings. Um, That's what I was going to suggest. And there's, yeah. and there's really no, there's no number. 
I mean, you might be able to do two free weddings, a second shoot, one wedding, and be ready to rock and roll. I mean, you might be getting incredible, amazing stuff and know that you're going to be a great wedding photographer. Or on the other hand, it might take you doing 30 free weddings and second shooting 25 times or more. I don't know. Um, it might be something where you never get more comfortable uh, than shooting or, or second shooting, excuse me. Uh, you may never just feel like, you know what, here's, here's my calling. Here's where I am. I'm going to be a second shooter and you might be happy with that. So, I mean, uh, you, you really need to kind of have a good feel for your photos and just sort of feel it out. But there's definitely no, you know, you need to second shoot for at least a year and do weddings for free or on the super cheap for at least a year. No. I mean, if you do one or two and you're getting some amazing stuff and your clients are responding really well, I mean, part of what gave me incredible confidence moving forward was I, of my first 12 free weddings, I didn't have a single complaint. I had, and that's not even exaggeration, as there should have been. I mean, they were, I was doing it for free after all. But I mean, it was just rave reviews. People love the photos. Looking back on it, the photos weren't that great. But with the camera I was using and with the lenses that I had, I was shooting with garbage and I wasn't getting garbage. I was getting some okay stuff um, and, and obviously situations that are far from ideal and far from perfect. Um, but, you know, if you have people that aren't really excited about your photos and, uh, you know, aren't really jazzed up that you, you captured this or that, you know, take more time practicing. Don't be disheartened by it. Just take more time, work on it, figure out, work out the kinks, ask them for information. What would you have rather seen? What, what, um, what would, how would I have to shoot your wedding or what photos do I need to capture at your wedding that would help you perceive this as a success? You know, remember everything about a wedding it disappears except the memories and the photos. So you want to make sure that you're kind of being careful about it and, you know, have fun with it. You definitely need to have fun with it. But that's why all the tentative stuff, all the heebie-jeebies, get all that out with some of the free weddings. Do a couple second shoot weddings where it's kind of a little bit more serious. There's a budget involved. Because remember, once money's involved, everything gets ratcheted up a little bit until you get to the point where it's like, you know what, so what? You know, I'm going to go and I'm going to kill the job anyway. I don't care about the money. Yeah, and make sure to, I think we spoke about spoken about this previously, make sure to learn your camera, know what the ISO does, know what the f-stop does, the shutter speed, all that stuff, because you don't want to end up with very blurry photos, you don't want to end up with very noisy photos, even though noise to an extent can be taken care of. Right. When I was editing these photos, some of them were just so noisy, even getting rid of the noise, it made the photos kind of look like a painting because it blurred it and right. That's the, you know the sharpness and stuff like that. Right. So make sure you know exactly what you're doing. And like Nathaniel said, do a free, do a few free shoots. Um, team up with somebody mm -hmm. and say, listen, I know you're getting paid, but let me just tag along, take a bunch of free photos just like. So right, and, and there are a lot of times where photographers will give the second shooter 100 bucks. I mean, experienced second shooters will make five to 700 um, or more sometimes. Um, so I mean, even if it's something where you just say, look, give me 100 bucks for the day, I'll just be, I'll be your gopher, you know, I'll, I'll shoot some behind the scenes stuff, I'll shoot some secondary stuff. I mean, whatever it is, wherever you can lend a hand, just being there and experiencing it is gonna help you a lot. It's all stuff that you can draw on later when you're out there on your own when you spread those little photographer wings and you fly 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 into your first real job but anyway yeah if you don't know your camera this sort of uh helps frame the next story that i'm going to tell you there's a popular android <laughs> camera app called camera 51 uh, that just hit the ios shelves or the ios app store uh, which essentially is supposed to help you frame more pleasing shots it's kind of interesting um i almost left it out of the news this week but 
it's kind of something that takes your smartphone and makes it a little bit more like a smart camera uh, in a lot of ways. Essentially what it does is when you raise your camera to take a picture, it sort of examines the scene, whether there's people in it or not or shapes, whatever's, whatever's there, it'll help detect. And it'll offer suggestions as far as moving your camera to get a more pleasing composition um, in the shot. It has something called an aim box. So it says, hey, like maybe move the phone over to here a little bit more. Uh, it has an auto selfie feature, which I'm not sure what that is, but I saw it in the list of specs and it sounds terrifying. Um, so I just thought <laughs> everyone needs a good yeah, selfie. I just, especially an I auto just thought selfie. I would, I just thought I'd throw that in there, but it also has an alert. Um, if something moves into the shot that seems to be in- interfering with the photo you're about to take, which is kind of neat because there are times where you'll shoot something, um, and you just won't notice the, the top left corner or the top the bottom right corner or something. Um, there's something that moved into the shot somehow, or you adjusted the camera and something slid into the shot that you did not notice. Um, so I don't know, kind of cool. It's called camera 51. Um, they've had like a million downloads on Android since last October. So they've been out for like seven, eight months now and a million downloads. So it looks like it's pretty good. I have not downloaded it yet, um, but I'll probably go and at least check it out. Uh, it looks interesting to say the least. It does look interesting. And I don't think enough photo applications on mobile phones really help a user learn things like composition or focus or anything like that. Right. It would be really cool if somehow, because I know a lot of cameras, like actual DSLR cameras, are getting NFC technology and Wi-Fi technology. If you can somehow use these sorts of applications to connect directly to your camera to see what it's seeing and then be able to use that technology to compose better shots on your DSLRs, then we might be getting into an interesting space because obviously right now, Phone cameras aren't terrible, but they're also not DSLR quality. We're hearing that, you know, future iPhones and future Samsung devices are going to have quote unquote DSLR features, Mm -hmm. which I highly doubt is ever going to get that far. But if we can somehow pair them up with DSLRs and use the technology or smart technology on our phones to control that DSLR, it'd be interesting. Yeah, I mean, and even the Fuji X. X100T, excuse me, it has raw conversion right there in the back of the camera where I can, you shoot a raw photo, go in and adjust the white balance, adjust the exposure, stuff like that. So even if it's something where via the NFC, um, you're able to connect and have a raw editor on your phone, maybe Lightroom, you know, on your phone and just mm-hmm. say, all right, how much brighter can I make this photo? If it, am I exposed? I mean, just think about this. If you're photographing somebody in a field and the sky is up there, you know how sky typically can get blown out pretty easily. Um, certainly yeah. with a lot of lower level digital uh, DSLRs, that's going to happen. Um, um, but even with higher end DSLRs, your sky can still be pretty bright. Um, but the dynamic range is there to be able to draw some of that back in by reducing the whites and reducing the highlights. Um, you know, to be able to just check it out on the phone and see exactly where you stand, that might be something that's very helpful. Uh, I don't know. It's just a thought. I have no idea how it would fit into my workflow or a lot of photographers' workflows or if it even makes sense. But it might be an interesting feature to have out there. I don't know. It might be. And one thing that really doesn't make sense to me, and this is going into our next story, is there's this restaurant that made special plates for smartphone food photos. Now, this is obviously, you know, when you go eat, when you're of the young generation, you take photos of your food, especially if it's really nice looking food. Of course, if you're going to McDonald's, you're probably not going to take a picture of the, the, flat, the Big Mac right, because the it's flat burger dis- and the- right because it's <laughs> disgusting and ugly. But I'm sure you're guilty of it. I'm definitely guilty of it. You go out for a nice sushi dinner. You take a picture because it's nicely displayed. Well, this restaurant actually went one step further and they're they're kind of making this meal experience where they give you these fancy designed plates, which 
You have to check this article out. Go to Nathaniel's post or in the show notes, wherever you're viewing this. Talkfit.com slash WeGeek slash episode 13. There you go. These things, maybe it's just me, but they look like urinals that you would find in a men's bathroom. They don't look very but But trendy urinals. Very trendy (laughs) urinals. Um, And they're made to kind of like, it goes... It, it obviously holds your food and then it kind of goes up in the back to give you like a, I guess a background to shoot mm-hmm. the food on. Yeah. But it's like, I don't know. It, and, and the whole experience costs $155 to basically hun- get your no, food no, no. served a, on a urinal. $155 an hour. Oh, per hour. Yeah, I'm sorry. Per, per hour. hour. Yeah. And it's offered through June 15th. It's, I don't know if I would go that far just to get an Instagram shot. What are your thoughts? I don't know. I mean, uh, no, I wouldn't pay that much for it. <laughs> That's first and foremost. I would not pay that much for it. Um, I mean, the plates do have a slot in the front, so you can prop your phone in there to get the perfect angle, I guess, presumably. And there is a second plate. I don't know if you saw it, but it's one that holds your phone on one side, and the plate actually spins mm-hmm. on the other side. So you can, I guess, get some motion or maybe video or something like that. It's it's a cool idea. I'm, I, th- I kind of think the plates look cool. They sort of look like half bowls. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, there is a little bit of the urinal element to them. I mean, it's not like, you know, one of those bizarre Japanese toilet restaurants or anything by by a long That's stretch. True. They're textured nicely. They're painted nicely. Um, it's a neat idea. Um, and, and obviously food that's brightly colored and has a lot of texture and has a lot of that – uh, sensory it's a very sensual picture and by that i just mean it it, it activates it stimulates your senses um when you see a great photo of food uh which i think is part of the reason that a lot of people like to photograph food is you you connect this very positive experience with it right like you said you get this amazing plate of sushi it's beautifully plated you got these bright colors contrast uh texture depth you know all of that and you can almost taste it through the picture um i I don't know. I mean, I I wouldn't pay 155 bucks for an hour uh, per hour for it. Um, apparently, it's a hit. Apparently, they've had a lot of success with it, and they've teamed up with a winery, and it's boosted their sales by like 13 percent or something. I read. Um, it's interesting. Uh, it's definitely something you should check out and maybe share your thoughts with us and what you think about it. Um, a neat idea, but way too expensive. I guess in a nutshell, that's what I think about it. Yeah, I completely agree. And you know what? I followed people on Instagram and I've seen people on Instagram in the Explore feed that take great pictures of like very nice pictures of their food mm. with just what's given to them at a restaurant that is true. and some select filters using uh, that app that I use. I don't remember that. Visio? Oh, Visco. I don't know. Visco. Visco. Yeah. yeah, that has some really great feature f- filters. Wow. I haven't even drank anything yet. Um, well, it has some great filters. You better start can- soon. Seriously. Um, yeah, and I, I don't see the need for it, mm-hmm. especially for $155 an hour. But, you know, each to their own. If I guess if you're a rich businessman and you'd love taking pictures of your food, yeah. which sounds very strange. But, you know, go for it. Yeah. Enjoy. Yeah, so moving on. N- n- yeah, so to- the next to story totally is something change, I'm kind of <laughs> to totally excited about. <laughs> it totally, t- completely not uh, photo related, but definitely phone related. So Nintendo, I'm, I'm a big gamer. I play games once in a while. Not a huge gamer, but you know, I play when I can. Nintendo has been talking for a while that they're going to be releasing mobile apps or mobile games on phones or games on mobile phones. I don't know what I'm saying. They're going to be releasing games on mobile phones and they've teamed up with a company called DENA. Don't know what it stands for, but DE North America maybe? I don't know. Dena. Dena. There you go. And they finally came out with a plan and they said, 
by 2017, which is a long way away, they're going to release five mobile games, which doesn't sound very exciting, but apparently the first one is coming this year. But here's one thing that kind of grinds my gears, if you will. Uh Uh-oh. They've pretty much confirmed that they will not be releasing their existing games on mobile phones. So if you're someone like me who grew up with Pokemon, grew up with the original Nintendo, not Nintendo, yeah, but I guess suppose Nintendo, but Mario on Nintendo or Game Boy, those games, it doesn't look like there's a chance in hell that they are going to be arriving on our phones, which is so disappointing because I don't really want Nintendo to release brand new Mm -hmm. games that I may or may not like. I am, like right now, I want to pull out my wallet, throw a credit card at Nintendo, and allow me to play Pokemon on my iPhone. Or you know what? Mario Kart on the iPhone using the accelerometer. How amazing would that be? I don't want anything new. I just want the classics. And I'm not saying that Nintendo, I think we've spoken about this before, but I'm not saying Nintendo released their brand new games, the ones that came out just recently on the 3DS on the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Release the classics. Right. I want those on my phone. Was Donkey Kong one of the old Nintendo games or is that a different... It was, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, stuff like that seems like it would be like shooting fish in a barrel, right? I mean, you line it up. Or was that Sega? You would, I don't know. Yeah, One of I don't two, know. But, but no, it was like a Sonic the Hedgehog was a Sega thing, right? That was a Sega, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I would imagine you'd be throwing your credit card, throwing your coin card, right? Just like, <laughs> take it from me. Oh, don't even take mention it, coin. Take it from me. And are you are you asking for me to keep ranting? <laughs> got, I think you of, are. So I'm going to do of. it. This wasn't part of the show notes, but I'm going to do it for a second. If you know anything about coin, this is the, there was what this. What is coin? You should probably explain what coin is first. Oh, I will. I will, Nathaniel. <laughs> so, about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, there was this Kickstarter. And I believe it's onlycoin.com is the website. And it's basically this product. It looks exactly like a credit card with a little LCD e ink display. And the promise of this card is that you can take all of your credit cards and put it onto one. You can basically load them into this thing and you press this button on this credit card and it cycles through on the e-ink display and you choose the credit card you want to use. You hand it to the teller or you hand it to whoever is swiping your card and bada boom, bada bing. You can only bring your technically allowed, not technically, but it allows you to bring just one credit card Use it and you're so good. one physical card, but the but you're digitally inputting the information from your other cards into this one card, right? Okay. So that was a year and a half ago. I became one of the backers because I thought the promotional video was great, the concept was great, and at the time that whole chip thing technology that's in credit cards now in the U.S. wasn't a thing. I think it was a thing in Europe, but it wasn't here. Mm-hmm. So I became a very early backer, like within the first week, and it was promised to ship sometime early 2014 or the summer of 2014 that was a whole year ago so you've had it for about a year is what you're saying (laughs) yeah right so that time came around first of all there was very little communication about this thing they had these backer updates where they kind of discussed how the coin would work and all of it made sense and then we got to the point where it's supposed to ship we get an email or the backers get an email there was also articles released saying that it wasn't shipping. The beta or a beta coin was going to be shipping to a very select few people. Like I think it was 15,000 people would be getting this beta experience. Right, but but since you were one of the early supporters, obviously you were going to be included in the beta round of testing. Oh, correct? of course. Nope. 
So I was not chosen to be part of this beta, even though I was one of the very early, apparently I wasn't one of the first 15,000, which I find that hard to believe because I signed up and I threw my money at them. I think it was $55 for early backers within the first few days or first week or whatever it might have been. And the communication around it has been absolutely terrible. So a year after it was supposed to ship, we still haven't heard anything. Some people are saying that their beta card is finally shipping. I haven't heard anything. I'll check my order status, still says pending. And it's just, these experiences are what drives me away from Kickstarter and crowdfunding campaigns because they're just so poorly run and poorly communicated. Yeah, I was going to ask, when it comes to a lot of the crowdfunding stuff, what happens, and I'm by no means am I a crowdfunding expert, if you, a, a, product, a product or project, whatever, meets its funding requirement or desires or whatever um and like something like this happens i mean what if coin never ships you know if the technology is totally outdated by the time it's there and they can the whole thing do you get your money back or is it just you took that risk when you went in you knew that was what you're buying into and that's part of why you bought in at a cheaper rate yeah i believe you just take you take the risk and hope it ships right. this has okay. happened a lot apparently there have been many campaigns some for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars that just have never shipped. Or there was one, this ring thing. There was this big ring that was a Bluetooth ring that was supposed to go in your hand. It did eventually ship, but it was nothing like the Kickstarter campaign Envision did. People were angry. And I, I think there are laws around this that basically says, you know, you agree to this, you agree to fund this campaign and they couldn't perform they couldn't produce. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's I suppose that. it's probably a little bit like being an investor, right? I mean, there is always a chance that the company can declare bankruptcy and you just completely take a loss. Right. And I'm sure if you team up with the right people, you can kind of make a case to sue these people, but it's probably not worth my time. And right. fortunately, but unfortunately, the coin that I ordered turned out to be completely free because I referred enough people. So, and I think every every person you refer, you get $5. So I referred enough of them. But at the same time, you, I feel very bad right. for referring all those people to something they may never get. You've lost a lot of friends. Possibly. So, or Twitter followers. So anyway, <laughs> um, the next the next story, moving on from coin. Uh, coin bad. Well, hopefully it works out. I mean, it does seem like a really cool idea. Um, it, and it would seems be. like, and my fingers are crossed, it seems like it's still going to be shipping. But at this point, it won't have that chip technology. Mm -hmm. And I have my iPhone with Apple Pay, which is basically that but, on my phone. Uh, but so. I see, and, and I've always had a hard time believing Apple Pay is ever going to be able become a real standard. Um, something like Coin seems like a much more logical step, at least moving towards something like Apple Pay, where it's still a digital card that you have. Um, but you still have that tangible card with you in your wallet. I feel like there's a comfort factor with that. I don't know. Call me crazy. Well, I think I think Apple Pay and Samsung Pay will become very mainstream yeah. soon because most retailers, most resellers, whatever they're called, they have the NFC technology. Mm -hmm. They just haven't enabled it yet. But what's interesting about Samsung Pay, and we've discussed this in a previous podcast, is that it also uses the magnetic strip technology. So it doesn't need NFC. Right. It just needs a magnetic strip, which all stores have. So I think eventually, maybe five years from now, I would say 80% of stores will accept this. Right. No, no. I, yeah, I think a lot of stores will accept it, but I just think it's going to be a matter of people actually using it. Um, oh, yeah. You're completely you right. Know, so, and I think I feel like a digital card would be a, a good step toward getting people yeah. to that point. Uh, anyway, so uh, I found this article, I believe it was on Mac, uh, Mac Rumor or Mac, Mac Daily News. Oh, Mac Daily News. I'm sorry. Uh, top 10 reasons. It was kind of a very short 
quite frankly, lame article, but I just thought it'd be interesting if we ran over this. Top 10 reasons Apple's iPhone 6 and iPhone 6 Plus are winning over Android users. There's the ever-going war, the battle going back and forth, um, where if you don't pay attention to it, it actually seems to just go away and you can live in peace. Uh, but anyway, I just want to run down this list very quickly with you, Howard. 10 items, and you just give me like stream of consciousness, you know, in 10 seconds, what you think about it, yay or nay, and just a quick thought about it. So the 10th reason is a better synchronization with other Apple products. What are your thoughts? Oh, totally. Well, first of all, the iPhone is made by Apple. The uh, software is made by Apple. OS X is made by Apple. It's all made by Apple. When they create, someone said a very good quote. I don't remember what it was, but basically Apple controls the software and the hardware. So it just makes for a much better syncing experience. Gotcha. I would agree. Uh, number nine, price for top end phones is now about the same. I'm assuming they're talking about the iPhone 6 Plus versus a high end top flight Android phone. Yeah, for the most part, I... I think there are some Android phones that might sell for $100 cheaper. Of course, you can get very cheap Android phones for like $99 or $49. But for the most part, if you're looking for the best of the best, you're probably going to be paying the exact same price for an iPhone or an Android phone. Gotcha. Uh, number eight, uh, joining the flock so they're not left behind. I don't know. I mean, there. If you're talking about like fanboyism, I think that you can say the same thing for both sides. There are people who are diehard Samsung users. There are people who are diehard Apple users. It seems because I think maybe Apple's marketing is just that stronger. There is. It seems that there are more Apple fanboys than there are Samsung fanboys or Android fanboys. And you have to remember that Android isn't just one phone. It's potentially thousands of different phones. Right. Apple is just one phone, so it's a lot easier to mm. see that fanboyism for Apple users. Right, and just to piggyback on that for a quick second, you seem to see celebrities with iPhones because they enjoy them. You seem to see celebrities with Androids because they're being sponsored by them. You know, you know what's what funny? I mean? kind of I, like, going, have you noticed I, that? Is that, is, oh, totally. is that totally unfounded, me saying that? I feel like I, that, that's the, that's oh, no, the you're, feel I get. You're absolutely right, and obviously, you know, the whole Ellen thing with the, the selfie at the Oscars or whatever it was, that was obviously sponsored, but there have been so many tweets. I think Oprah actually did one where she tweeted, or some celebrity tweeted, I'm, I, I love my Samsung phone, blah, 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 and then you check the metadata of that tweet, which you can do in certain Twitter clients sent from an iPhone. Right. Yeah. All right. So number seven, better software release schedules. Well, Apple definitely releases more iOS updates, whether they're better updates. Uh, well, I think they're, ta I think they're talking about just more regular. Oh, 100%. Uh, one thing that annoyed me about Android I haven't, first of all, before anyone goes off of me, I have an Android phone um, for business. And the problem with that is the software is usually controlled by the manufacturer, not necessarily, of course, Google creates the Android software. But when there's a new update, like the Jelly Bean update, I don't know what they're called, it's not automatically available on all phones. So I had an LG G2 or LG G3, and one of the big updates came out and of course, because LG controls the updates, I wasn't able to get that new update until LG approved it and customized it to their liking, which was like a year later. Wow. Okay. Uh, number six, better support service from Apple. Uh, yeah. 100, having worked for Apple, 100%. If anything happens to my 
uh, iPhone. I walk into an Apple store and they fix it. Some, of course, sometimes they can't fix it, so they would just replace it. Sometimes you have to pay for the replacement if it's like water damage and you don't have Apple Care Plus. But with Samsung phones or any other phones, you usually have to send it back to the company, the factory, or whatever it might be. If you have a warranty through Best Buy, they have to send it back. It's just a lot easier if you have an iPhone just to walk into a store and get it replaced. Right, yeah, I guess you know where to take a broken iPhone, uh, whereas an Android, do you take it to the, the, the you know your cell phone cellular service provider? Do you take it to Walmart or wherever you bought it from? Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, number five, iOS given priority for app support. I have no idea what they mean by this, but... I think what it means is developers are more likely to jump on iOS to develop their apps. And it certainly seems that way, especially with the Apple Watch. It seems like developers were much more open to jumping on this uh, software or operating system than they were for Android Wear. And I don't know if it's just easier to code for iOS. I really don't know much about coding, but it does seem like there's much more developer support on iOS than there is on Android. But of course, Android is a much more open operating system. So some apps you will see on Android versus iOS. Gotcha. Uh, number four, business appeal. Uh, I can't really speak to this. I don't, I, I've heard from a lot of people that other operating systems, especially BlackBerry is more geared at business. I don't know if people still use BlackBerry phones, but I, I, I really can't answer this because I don't really use it for business, but Apple seems to be making a big push into the business mm -hmm. world, especially with them teaming up with IBM. But again, I don't really know. Yeah, and I know with, was it iOS 7 or iOS 8 when they re re released like iPages and all the charts and all, all those different apps uh, that kind of came then. Uh, numbers, I think was one of them. Or maybe it's just called Pages. Pages, Numbers, and something else. And Keynote. Uh, Keynote yeah, they do right. have their, their iWork suite on available on the iPhone. But again, Microsoft Office is available on the iPhone as well and Android. And I think I would say most large businesses use Microsoft Office over iWork. Gotcha. Okay. And number three, Apple Watch support. Yeah, sure. I mean, we've spoken about the Apple Watch and it's an all right device and it only works with the iPhone or at least it only works with certain iPhones. Uh, it doesn't work with Android phones. I probably won't work with Android phones, but what's interesting is Google is apparently going to be releasing a version of Android Wear that works with the iPhone. So that could add a little bit of cross-compatibility. But hmm. yeah, if you have an Apple Watch or you want an Apple Watch, you're going to need an iPhone. Gotcha. Uh, number two, high-quality design and available in gold. Hmm. Yeah. One thing I will say about the iPhone, I absolutely love the design of the iPhone. The build quality is pretty good. Of course, if you try hard enough, you can bend the thing, at least the iPhone 6 Plus. Uh, but I will say in Samsung's defense, the new Samsung S6 and S6 Edge, I think it, what it is, oh. is a beautiful phone. I would definitely pick one up once the lease on my LG G3 or whatever I have is over. And next month, apparently, they're going to have like an Iron Man edition LG G6, not LG, uh, Samsung Galaxy S6, which could be kind of interesting. Yeah. But yeah, for the most part, Apple's build quality, they focus a lot on the industrial design. Gotcha. And and the, the software and UI design is better, worse? What do you... Uh, until recently, Android Android software was all over the place, but they have this new, I forget what it's called. I don't know what it's called, but their new operating system is much cleaner. Mm -hmm. It has a lot more tools for developers to make their apps look very clean. And like I kind of mentioned earlier, 
iOS 8 has been an absolute disaster. Buggy, buggy, buggy. We're, we're hearing that iOS 9, which will be unveiled in June, actually next month, will be primarily major bug fixes, and I'm sure a few features here and there. Uh -huh. But yeah, the software has not been very good over the last year. Gotcha, okay. And then number one is bigger screens are better. I don't know if I agree with this. I mean, I love the big screen on my iPhone 6 Plus, but you have to remember, Apple was far from the first phone to release a bigger screen. There was the Note 3 and the Note 4 from Samsung. Even the S5 from Samsung had like a 4.8-inch screen, and now they have 5.5-inch screen. I love the big screen, but you really can't say that that's one reason why Apple is better than Android, because Android had bigger screens before iPhones do. Gotcha. And when it comes to the big screen, do you find that you keep it in your pocket a lot or do you have the the, the hip holster? How do you handle? <laughs> um, when I'm walking around, it's usually my back pocket. Okay. But anytime I have to sit down, I always take it out of my it's pocket, out. put it on the desk, put it somewhere else. I can't really keep it in my side pocket mm. because it's kind of, it kind of grinds up against me. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, uh, speaking of uh, phones and everything like that. That was good information there. Uh, there's another cool camera app. I know we talked about a camera app before, the Camera 51 app. There's a, a selfie app called Selfie X. It looks like it's a pretty new app. Um, I only discovered it earlier this week. Um, and essentially what it does is Typically, you have the choice between your lower quality, the crappy front camera, uh, which I don't know who uses that. I mean, I guess some people do, um, and your actual real big back camera, um, which is what I usually use if I'm taking, even if it's a picture of myself or a group of people or whatever, I'll turn it around and I'll kind of guess the composition, just how I've always done it, um, because I, wa I want the higher quality. Um, well, this Selfie X app, and I downloaded it to check it out, it has a box, and you position the box in, on the screen where you want your face to be, and then you turn the camera around, and the app will detect your face, and essentially give you verbal directions. Turn camera to the left, to the left, up, 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 there we go, and then it'll say cheese, and it'll automatically take the picture once your face is in that zone where you wanted your face to be. So it's very interesting. And I suppose if you don't have very good perception of where your the box should be on your face, when you turn the camera around, it would probably be very annoying, but it's, I guess something that a lot of people might need because I find myself taking a lot of selfies. I try with the front facing camera and if the lighting condition isn't perfect, I'll try to turn it around mm -hmm. to get to use that camera in the, in the back of the phone, which right. is much better than the camera in the front. Mm -hmm. And it's not very easy to do it without some sort of guidance. I hope that the next iPhone or the next Samsung device or whatever it might be, I hope the front-facing camera is much better. Right. But yeah, it's an interesting app. I don't know if I would use it very often, but well, it's Well, yeah, and I, I think there is a little editor in it, which isn't bad. The quality of the photos is pretty good. It's a little wonky kind of trying to actually get the photos out of the app to Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or email them or save them to your role, whatever you want to do. Uh, but I think the death of an app like this is just, I mean, how many times are you walking through a mall or something or a shopping center and the teenage girl in front of you pulls the camera out and it's three seconds, right? You go pull camera out, flip open to camera, raise hand, click, take picture, and then you're on your way. Well, actually, no, usually <laughs> they have it's it down click, to click, science. click, 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 you know, it's 20 or 30 pictures because you got to get the best one. But the point is it's less than 30 seconds and the photo shoot has gone down at, you know, so whether or not you're going to set up, uh, you know, an app like this and uh, tweak and turn and adjust, I don't know. I don't see it happening. It's interesting. Um, 
interesting technology and this facial recognition stuff is kind of, you know, it's it's all over the place now. Uh, but yeah, just something I figured I would just mention, make a footnote of. And uh, yeah, it's, pretty it's, it's free, available on iOS or Android. So if you want to go check it out, by all means. I will probably definitely check it out, but it's probably not something I would use very often. Right. Now, if you have taken a picture of your your self, or I guess your selfie, with the front-facing camera, you need to do a bit of editing. And if you do edit in Lightroom, you may have picked up the new Lightroom CC release, which a lot of people are kind of complaining about, not necessarily because it's part of the Creative Cloud now, and they're mad that it might not be available as a standalone product anymore, but they're finding it's very slow. And Adobe has been responding to some people in their forums and on Twitter and so on and so forth that the GPU power is mainly being used for larger monitors. So the bigger the monitor that you have and the higher resolution the monitor, the more GPU power or the the faster Lightroom CC will appear. And I don't know exactly the technical reasons behind this, but if you're if you if you're not using a large monitor with super high resolution, you may actually experience a little bit of slowness in Lightroom CC, mm. but what you're able to do is you're actually able to go into your preferences under the performance section and uncheck the use graphics processor box, which will kind of revert it to the way it used to be and give you the same speed that you're used to and not slow it down. I don't know exactly know the reason why it's slowing it down, mm. but I'm not an engineer, so I don't know. But Adobe has stated that it's really just the beginning of GPU acceleration. They've released it for the develop module and the importing process, but as time goes on, more of the application will actually utilize that GPU. So the whole thing should become much faster and not just for people with massive high resolution monitors. Have you, I know you mentioned you kind of experienced some quickness. Yeah, yeah, I, for me, it's way faster. I mean, it was, there was nothing yeah. more frustrating for me than when I would load a library of photos and all the thumbnails would show up and I would click on one to open it, to edit it. And you have to wait, you know, a second and a half for every photo to load and then click to being tack sharp. Now it's, I mean, way faster. In fact, after we get off uh, and finish recording this, I have a shoot that I need to retouch. It's, it's basically a bunch of drinks for a menu that I photographed in Philly. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been working on it the last few days and I'm doing it almost entirely in Lightroom and it's been a, a dream. Yeah, and we both have the, uh, the same monitor now. We have that Samsung 28-inch 4K monitor. So I guess our monitors or our computers or whatever it is that's causing this is large enough and high resolution enough to take advantage of the GPU. GPU. But if I guess we were just using regular monitors, mm -hmm. we would either not see a difference or see less of a difference or it would be slower. I don't know how much it has to do with the computer or the monitor. I really don't know. But some people are saying that Lightroom CC is slower. And if that's the case, head into your preferences into the performance section and uncheck the use graphics processor box. So there's that. There you go. So that'll do it for the news today. We're going to move on. We have three questions. And again, if you do want to leave us questions, we will be taking questions every single week as long as we have them. Send us tweets. I'm at Iceflow Studios. Nathaniel's at Tutvid. Make sure to use the hashtag WeGeeks because actually one of the questions was simply just using the hashtag and did not include either of us. Mm -hmm. But because he used the hashtag, we, got we were able to find it. Yep. And every week we do give away a gift card. We might have to decrease the value of the gift card until we get more sponsors or more Patreon supports. Um, but for this week, we'll keep it at $25 and we'll discuss it at some point, whether or not we're going to decrease it. So the first question is from 
on tw- actually they're all on Twitter, name crisis two. And he says, digital work is your life. How do you keep backups and how many? Was there a scare with missing slash corrupted files? Uh, do I have any? I mean, I've had a lot of hard drives crash, that's for sure. But I've traditionally, actually I haven't backed up in a, quite a while, probably over a year, whoopsie. Um, I traditionally use Time Machine on my Mac, which you know, uses the external hard drive and just backs up automatically. You don't really have to do anything manually, it just does its thing. And when the hard drive gets filled, it just, it kind of deletes the oldest backup and then re-backs up. So it keeps things up to date pretty frequently. I have been looking into, where's my tab? I do have a tab over here somewhere. Here, I've been looking into Code42's crash plan to kind of give me an external backup so I can back up everything. Apparently, I'm reading this now, They for one year, for $59 per year, you can, or as low as $4 a month, you can back up your whole entire computer to the cloud, which kind of seems scary, but... That shouldn't be used as a primary backup. That should be used as an additional backup. The off-site also, backup, so to speak. Right, the off-site backup. They also have an option that you can create like an actual physical off-site backup. Um, but I would say if, you really, if you're really concerned, have one backup present where you are. Mm-hmm. Have a second backup off-site, like in a storage locker or something with all your very important files. And then have a third backup maybe in the cloud. Yeah, and it's it's when it comes to the cloud stuff, you can get space for incredibly cheap. I mean, Amazon has a what is it called S two or something? I forget what it's called. S three. S three. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it's a cloud based backup software. It's dirt cheap, and you can get yeah. terabyte after terabyte. And from a photographic and video standpoint, it's difficult to back up because it's it's a lot of time uh, that it takes just copying and saving and moving files. Um, but as a graphic designer or as a web designer, just, you know, I mean, there's so much great software out there. You can just set it every night at, you know, 4am or whenever you're going to be asleep kind of thing. Um, you can set it to just go in there, boom, back up all of the stuff that changed throughout the day. It'll automatically detect everything, scan everything and update and back it up. So something like that, I would definitely highly recommend. Totally. So, so. Onward, take the next one. Onward, Pixel Jones from Twitter says, "Question: Print designer who wants to learn web who wants to learn a web language, which do you think has the longevity slash usefulness in developing websites?" Um, there's actually a couple uh, different languages, and I would also throw an extra one out there in case you ever wanted to get into web applications uh, that I happen to know has been developing a lot over the last few years. Um, and, and seems to be a good option. But anyway, obviously, XHTML, um, HTML5, it's kind of the same language. I would look into that. Uh, CSS, CSS3, again, same language, uh, something you want to look into for sure. Uh, JavaScript, specifically stuff like uh, jQuery, which is, a, which is a specific library of JavaScript, um, would be something that's useful to look into. Those would be the three languages that I would initially say you want to look at and play with. They're all relatively simple, yet pretty robust and allow you to do a lot. Uh, I would start there. I would spend 90 days working with each of them, uh, maybe together, whatever. I would spend three months just trying to figure out those three uh, pretty pretty intensely. Then I would look at PHP, which is always helpful when you're working with some of the frameworks like WordPress and things like that. WordPress, Joomla, although I'm not sure if Joomla is PHP, but certainly WordPress, which is the biggest one. I don't really work with Joomla or Moomba or any of those other weird uh, uh, 
what are they called? Uh, frameworks. I'll just call them frameworks. Um, so th those would be the languages that I would initially suggest. If you want to get into web app development, PHP can be helpful, yes. Um, you'll need to learn a little bit about MySQL databases, which isn't too crazy difficult, uh, something you'll want to look into. But also Ruby on Rails. Ruby on Rails is a relatively simple language. Um, very, very robust. You can do a ton of stuff with it. There are a lot of developers that I know who use it. Um, it seems to be something that is going up and doing well. And there are a lot of uh, developers who are getting jobs who are coding uh, with Ruby on Rails. So Ruby on Rails would be something that I would uh, also suggest. But I would start with HTML, CSS, jQuery with with a good foundational support or, or understanding, I should say, of those three things. You'll be able to get a job in a lot of different places. Then I would branch out. I would actually probably tackle something like Ruby on Rails before I would try to tackle PHP. Um, PHP is really useful, um, but there's a lot of what you can see in PHP. You don't necessarily need to know PHP to understand how to work with PHP. Uh, if you want to be a great, proficient PHP designer, then yes, you absolutely need to learn it. But you can have a little bit of a working knowledge of PHP and get by. Um, but th those five languages, HTML, CSS, jQuery, um, Ruby on Rails, and what was the last one? I already forget. PHP. I don't know. PHP. I'm sorry. PHP. Oh, yeah. That was the one. All those acronyms. I get, I get them confused. <laughs> so, yeah, those would be the five that I would look at, and in that order, HTML, CSS, jQuery, uh, Ruby on Rails, PHP. Boom. Yeah, I, I would probably completely agree with that. I don't very, I don't know the frameworks very well, so I don't know. I used to know PHP a little bit, but I haven't really dabbled with JavaScript or Ruby on Rails. Uh, but Ru HTML Ruby on Rails is that what you almost said? <laughs> Ruby on Rails. It's the English version of Ruby on Rails. Um, uh, I definitely know HTML and CSS pretty fluently, I would say. I've been learning it pretty heavily over the last few years, and it definitely gets me by. In a lot of situations, my website right now, iceflowstudios.com, is done completely in WordPress. And what's nice about that is you don't really need much JavaScript knowledge. You should have probably JavaScript knowledge, but there are so many plugins that you can just use, install, and activate, and you're good to go. So that kind of takes care of that. But any sort of customization or web page development, you'll definitely, definitely want to know HTML and CSS. And then like Nathaniel said, if you want to get into databases and things like that, PHP, Ruby on Rails is a way to go. Um, and one quick thing to add, if you're looking to develop websites for clients, I would say definitely learn the languages. Really, really yes. learn them. If it's just a matter of setting up your own website, go with WordPress or yep. Squarespace or you know one of these uh, easier to use frameworks that are there for you. I mean, I, I don't know that I even waste the time you know learning it. Not not that anything learned is ever really a waste of time, but there might be a better use of your time. I'll put it to you that way. Totally. So our final question this week is from Gloomy Tree on Twitter. As you produce your awesome tutorials in 4K, do you use 4K makeup? If you like, make it a question for we geeks. Um, I. I would assume this is a joke, maybe. Maybe, I don't is he talking about like actual makeup I put on my face, or is there some sort of terminology I'm missing? Um, no, I don't think you're missing any terminology. I think he just wants to know if you're using makeup. Oh, I do not use makeup. Um, you're naturally beautiful. I guess, there you go. I guess as resolutions start to increase, get higher and higher, I might have to consider it, but at the moment, I'm just naturally gorgeous. Yeah, well, there you go. 
Um, so yeah, th those are great questions. Make sure to submit your questions using the hashtag WeGeeks on Twitter. You can also send us direct messages. I think someone actually sent me a message. Actually, it was a support request through our sponsorship forums on the WeGeeks podcast website. Don't do that. But there are, there are many ways you can send us questions and we'll definitely field them in future podcasts. As for this week, I think our $25 Amazon gift card or iTunes if you're in the US goes to Name Crisis 2. I think backing up is unbelievably important in this day and age when even if you have an SSD with no moving parts, it can crash and it does crash on some from time to time. Yep. And you know, if you're out and about and you need a file right away, it's always good to have a backup online just in case you have to go and grab something. So, name crisis two. Get a hold of me on Twitter or Facebook or wherever you submit your stuff, and I will definitely get in touch and get you that gift card. There you have it. And that will wrap it up for episode number 13 of the We Geeks podcast. You can check out the show notes over on tutvid.com slash wegeeks slash episode 13. Yeah, episode 13. We covered a lot there today. We, go. Man, we did. How, how, guy how long is this? Rob the, rob the bank. Hour and 12 minutes. Yeah, don't rob banks. Yeah, we learned that. Don't call don't do your that. clients ugly. That's never a mm -hmm. good thing. Uh, you can you can get better at framing your shots with an, with an iPhone app or Android app now. You can pay 155 bucks an hour to take photos of your food. Really, In a urinal. Sounds like a wise investment. Um, Nintendo's, Nintendo's about to right, piss off a lot of gamers with of, not releasing their classics on phones. Right. The the 10 reasons the iPhone 6 versus Android. That was pretty cool. The Selfie X app. And then that little solution to Lightroom CC kind of slowing down. Good there we go. So make sure to leave your comments, leave your reviews on iTunes, head over to SoundCloud if you're listening to this, comment along with us. We will at some point, I don't know exactly when, but we may eventually make this into a video podcast as well to release on YouTube. So that could be exciting. You can see our beautiful faces in 4K maybe. No. Actually, it'll probably be 720. I'm not recording this in 4K. No makeup. Not going to happen. No makeup. But... No makeup. No makeup. Uh, but yeah, so let us know what you think of the podcast, what we have to change, what we can improve, talk upon, send us articles to talk about, and that will just about do it. Yeah, that'll wrap it up. We'll see you guys right. next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.